Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. The Most Holy Reverend is here. I'm ready to talk to you. <laughs> so, such a weird thing to be called, uh, and it's just not true. Um, but, uh, uh, man, it just, it just feels good to... Uh, um, be with God this morning, doesn't it? And I, I almost feel like I could just just hang out in that place uh, for a while. I love Jed. Thanks so much, man. Not even at Providence for a, a year, and you're already uh, calling us to give, man. Like, like you've got uh, you've got a major courage, and thankful for you. But uh, I know that God is doing great and awesome things. Can uh, can we just acknowledge that this morning? That God is doing good things in each one of us, right? He really is. And no matter how dark the world feels to you, no, dark, uh, no matter how dark your family feels to you or you feel to you, um, God is not threatened by the darkness. He loves to turn the light on. Um, so this morning, I am uh, counting on him uh, turning the light on and uh, being dangerous to our darkness. All right? Hey, if you've got your Bibles, grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're starting a new series this morning. It's called Life on the Hill. And we're just talking about the kind of life that we believe that God has called us to live uh, from the hill. Um, and, uh, it, you know, th- this series that we're entering into today is, is really a series where we're going to look at God's dream for his church And do you know that God has dreams for his own church? That he doesn't just purchase his church and say, you guys dream. That uh, dreamers are only dreaming if they're dreaming in line with the dreamer, right? And so God has dreams for his church and they're big, massive dreams. And God is not silent or, uh, or bashful about his dreams for the church. He's actually very excited. And, uh, and so this series is about seeing God's dream for his church in, in relationship with one another. Or seeing God's dream for his church um, in, in the context of community with other believers. So in this series, we're going to be talking about what it is to do life together, what it is to be friends, uh, what it is to be married, what it is to forgive, what it is to do life. But I really believe that God is, is calling us to his dream for the way in which we do life. Um, we have to surrender to the dreamer of his church, to the owner of the church, we can't decide to make the church whatever we want. Is this clear? So I want to shine a, a light it actually on, on, on the content, on, we talk about this, it depends on what uh, background you come from, uh, but many times we talk about discipleship, and that's growing uh, roots down into who Jesus is, but many times we talk about discipleship and we actually think that um, getting in a classroom and learning things is all there is to discipleship, and I'm all for getting in classes and learning things, but the commission of God, the commission of Jesus was uh, the great commission was to partner with the dreams of God and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this series is a series about, it's a series on discipleship, but it's a, uh, a series on what discipleship demands and what discipleship demands, the context that discipleship only happens is, uh, in is relationship. I hope I'm saying that clearly. I'm almost confused myself. But if we're going to do life on the hill and if we're going to be a community that grows together, if we're going to be a community that grows in Christ, we must lay a foundation of relationship with one another. 
I think that's more clear. So discipleship in the context of relationship. Discipleship demands relationship. When I was um, in, in Bible college in Chicago, I was in the classroom all the time, all the time, and I'm thankful for that time. But what, what the context that set me up for actually receiving what I was learning was my relationship with my pastor who invited me into his family and actually made me one of his sons, spiritually speaking. He brought me into his family. I slept at his house. I slept on his couch on the weekends. And I was, it, it took me years to find out that it wasn't my learning alone in the classroom that was discipling me, it was a pastor who was willing to take me in, all right? It is relationship is so important if we want to be focused on discipleship. And so Matthew chapter 5, here's where I'm going to start today. I'm going to, going to uh, start with, I think, what is a foundational word here, and then the, the next six weeks, we are just going to get into this every which way, like I said, friendships and marriage, and, and your, your heart will be touched, and I hope this is going to be a practical series for us. But Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 14. I'm going to read this to us. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. A large gathering has happened on a, on a hill. And Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. <laughs> Quite a statement. Uh, you are the light of the world, he says to his disciples. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, that is a, a few verses, but they were powerful verses, and they lay a foundation, in my opinion, that, um, that sets up the kind of dream that God has uh, in his heart for the church. Specifically, verse 16 here says this, in the same way that you would never cover a light um, that once you light it. Uh, the purpose of, of, a, of a lamp being turned on is that it would uh, chase away the darkness and provide light. And so Jesus is saying, in the same way, I want you to let your, shine, your light shine before others. And here's why. Here's the reason for this. Here's the reason why you are a city on a hill, not meaning that you hide on the hill together, but you are bringing light to the world from the hill. This is why Jesus wants our lights to shine uh, before others. Uh, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to say this, church, this morning, let this get into your heart, that Jesus' dream for his people, the church, is that they would be a community of believers uh, who would be lights in darkness, all right? That they would be a city on a hill, that, that the church would actually be dangerous to darkness, not responsible for it. And so this is, a, this is something that we must embrace. It's a call on us. It's a mandate to the church where Jesus is saying, you are to be light in dark places. The darkness is not to scare you. You don't, you don't attack darkness by yelling at it. You attack darkness by being a light in that dark place, okay? Um, the, the question for me is, what are the good works that light up the darkness? Because Jesus says this, that they may see, you know, shine, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. So what are the good works that light up the darkness, and how do they bring glory to God? All right, those are two questions that I had when I was studying this passage. And so number one, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the good works that Jesus is talking about that bring light to the world that surrounds us. And number one, here's what I, I'm, I'm arguing for this morning, that the good works that Jesus is talking about here is that the way Jesus' people treat one another. 
Okay, the way Jesus's people treat one another is what shines a light in the darkness. And the way that I get that is not because it is blatantly said in this verse, but I get it from the context of Jesus's entire sermon. He's talking to his, his disciples on a hill, and if you continue on and not just take those verses out, but you put those verses in context, and you look at the whole rest of Jesus' sermon, and, and you put it in context, you see that the remainder of Jesus' message is primarily on how we treat one another. If you continue to read on, he talks about uh, anger toward one another, lust towards one another. So not objectifying a person, they're therefore devaluing them, all right? You're not supposed to treat people like that. Divorce amongst the people. Keeping your word, retaliation and revenge. Loving your enemies, loving your persecutors, giving to the needy. Judging others and removing the log from your own eye. The golden rule, which is do unto others what you would have them do unto you. This is the context of Jesus' entire message. And these are the good works, in my opinion, that Jesus is saying is going to shine like light in darkness. So what lights up the world, church? What lights up the world is not a church that is obsessed with being right. What lights up the world is a church that, in proper relationship with Jesus, is obsessed with loving other people. All right? So how the church treats people, how the church treats one another, is what the world is watching and is what will bring light to the world, but even more than that, what will glorify the Father. How the church treats people. Now I know that when you believe something very strongly, it's, it's, you can give yourself permission very quickly to speak out against. But I would love to see what it looks like. What would the world look like if we, if we hold our tongues and love people before we speak out against them. And I can tell you, we can, we can take a little, a little peek at what it might look like because there's been pockets throughout history where the church was actually doing this. Acts chapter two, verse 42 to 47. This is the early church, and this is when they were operating in this, and this is what it looked like. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Is this, is this the kind of church you want to be a part of? It is for me. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's very interesting that the church, when it's shining correctly, is having favor with people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, so what, is, what is happening is the church is, has turned the love of Jesus on in their lives. The, the light of, of the kingdom is shining in the world and people are getting saved as a result. They're not being guilt manipulated into the kingdom or shamed into the kingdom. They're not being told how bad they are. The, the world is seeing the love of God manifest in the lives of the church and they can't not be a part of that, all right? So this is what brings favor to the church and wins souls. This is what brings light to the darkness. And it, it doesn't, here's the problem, it doesn't take long to lose this. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, uh, starting with verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, um, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is what turns the light on to the world. You shall love your whole neighbor as yourself. This sums up all the law. But look at verse 15. Here's the problem. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And that more is, is the, the track the church has found itself on. Somebody? That is, when the world has watched the church, I'm not, I don't mean today necessarily, I mean throughout, uh, throughout centuries, that is the track that the world has seen that the church has been on. Not a unified church uh, spilling out the love of the Father, so just filling up on his love and then, and then just being him to the world. That's, that's not the church that, that the world for the most part has seen. The, the world has seen the church fighting amongst themselves and denominationalizing and, and, uh, <laughs> and doing their thing. In fact, I love church history. I've been telling you a little bit about that. But do you know this? That, and I know this is gonna sound sharp, but it's, it's historical fact that Catholics in the 14 and 1500s, even 1600s, Catholics would burn Protestants for owning a Bible at the stake. Do you know that? That is, the, the people like, so the, the people that we come from, the Protestant church, they died like this, being burned for just owning a Bible, right? And the Catholics are burning them because they believe that you shouldn't have a Bible. It's just only priests can interpret God's word, all right? And then the, the Bible started being printed in people's languages and they started reading it and then they and they started going to the stake for it so the church is turning on the church but here's where it gets even weirder then the protestants what they did as the bibles got out and people started reading them the the protestants started drowning anabaptists for not baptizing infants and baptizing believers did you know that so the people who were burning at the stake all right for having the scriptures are now drowning people for reading the scriptures and coming to a little bit different conclusion than they had. You hear this? But, <laughs> so Anabaptists were saying, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where you baptize a baby. What I see in the Bible is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you tell the world about it, and then you enter the waters of baptism, and the Protestants who burned now drowned those people. The hypocrisy is thick. There, <laughs> but we don't have to search too far to see that we are doing the same thing today. And this is, here's what I'm saying. This is not a shame sermon. This is a Jesus, please stop this demonic pattern and let us actually be your dream for us, God. Like literally make us a, a people on a hill that are known for the light that we carry, not, not the war amongst us. So here's, here's a question, like what if the church stopped yelling at the darkness and repented for not being a light? What would happen then? Oh, that's wrong, that's wrong. That's, what if we got on our faces and repented for not carrying the light of Christ in our day? The, the light is not necessarily us being right. The light is us being in right relationship toward one another. That's what shines. It is, it is you know, speaking the truth in love. It is it's not us being right. It's, it's us being in right relationship. That will preach a better sermon than the people feel bad that feel bad for just being wrong. And the wow, we, we've, we've got a, we, we, we've got, We've got some ground to cover, but I feel Jesus doing it. Do you? Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I, feel, I feel Jesus is calling us, saying, hey, guys, hey, guys, come on. I want you to unify here. I want you to treat one another like I treat you. 
So the one another's in scriptures, that's really a massive part of what this passage, life on the hill. How do we treat one another in the context of the kingdom? What does that look like? So the one another's in scripture, God is abundantly clear on, on how we are to treat one another. The one another's in scriptures are found hundreds of times all throughout the New Testament. 60% of those is Paul is saying to his church in his letters to the local church. So let me fire down through a few of these things. You could take notes or just, you know, uh, you know, here, but you know, the Bible says, care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, care for one another. The Bible says, confess your faults to one another. James 5, 16. Notice it doesn't say confess other people's faults to one another. It says, start with yourself, confess your faults to one another. Man, that shines light when someone can humble themselves and said, I- I've been wrong here. That- that's-, that's-, that's wild. Be devoted to one another. This is a devotion to one another. The church needs to know what that is and operate in that. Romans 12, 10. Build up one another. In, in fact, this is around here, I want this to be what we mean by discipleship. D- discipleship isn't just filling your mind with knowledge. Discipleship is building you up in who you actually are through the gospel in Christ. You need to be built up and strengthened in your face. Not in your face, but it will make it to your face, I promise. In your faith, Romans 14, 19, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, build one another up. Be patient with one another. Ephesians 4.2, Colossians 3.13. Show hospitality to one another. Do you know the word uh, hospitality comes from the word hospital? And so when people encounter your life, the way that they're supposed to be, feel treated is they're supposed to feel like you are a hospital for their brokenness. They're not supposed to feel so weird around you that they can't fail. In fact, they want to be open to saying, hey, like, you feel like a hospital to me. Here's my brokenness. Can you fix me? And that's what the church is supposed to look like. Come to, when you come to my house for a meal, you're stepping into a spiritual hospital. Um, the Bible says, use your gifts to benefit one another. Do you know this? That your gifts are not given by Holy Spirit to speak to your identity. All right? That whether you speak in tongues or whether you uh, heal the sick or, or no, no matter what you do, nothing to do with who you are. These are tools to serve the body with. All right, this is, this is who you are was, uh, was declared at the cross. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are a son or a daughter in the kingdom. That's who you are. And then the spirit doles out gifts generously. We should ask for more of them and we use those to be dangerous to darkness and we use those to bless people. This is, this is use your gifts to benefit one another. And here's the thing too. I'm so thankful for online church that we can, we can get together like this much, but you can't use your gifts for the most part unless you see somebody. And so I, I'm, I'm praying for the day that we can see more of one another because the glory of God depends on it. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get me. Uh, listen, hey, here's, uh, here's another one another. Greet one another. Do you know this? I love this Romans 16, 16. Do you know this? That when somebody shows up in our house, they must be seen. Yeah. They must be greeted. That is the dream of Jesus for the church. You're not supposed to slip in here, sit in the back, and then be offed. You must be seen. Um, if, if you feel like you need to slip in, sit in the back, and then leave, it's because the church hasn't shined, shined a light. That no, This is a Holy Spirit hospital. You don't have to feel bad. All right? And we have to start seeing each other when you see someone, even an acknowledgement of their presence. Can we just give a huge, massive thank you to Julie Hinn and her welcome ministry? They're, they're helping people be seen. 
They're, they're saying you matter. And that whether you're fist bumping or elbow bumping or just waving from a distance or, or you know, literally hugging, you, you have to know that you're important to God and to us. Greet one another. Um, I was at a... Uh, I, I ran into somebody that I, I didn't know in the community, and, and this lady asked me if I was the pastor of Providence. Uh, I, I always tense up when I say yes, because sometimes that's a good thing, and often it's not. Uh, but uh, I, I told the truth, I, I am. And she goes, oh man, she goes, I've heard about your church. And she started describing some of her friends, and she goes, would these people be welcomed at your church? I said, of course. And the, but the, my heart gets broken as a pastor that that is how the world sees us. My friends might not be welcome there, so I've got to ask the pastor to verify what the church should be known for. <laughs> greet one another. You don't have to agree with them to greet them. <laughs> you don't have to enter into their sin to greet them. Whether they're in sin or not, God wants them and likes them and loves them. And they should, be, they should get a greeting, all right? Serve one another, the Bible says, Galatians 5, 13. Serve one another. The, here's another thing. Let me talk about what we're watching on, online. Can, can we just thank uh, you know, Pastor Philip and Chris Nelson and everybody who does the live stream? Like they, they've done it better than anybody else. But there's one, and they are actually serving the body through this. These are days that this has been a massive tool, but there's, there, there's something about if we just get locked into this and we don't start dreaming with Jesus about the day coming where it's not gonna be just this, all right? That, that, that there's gonna be a problem because one of the one another's in scripture is serving one another's. Serving one another, serving one another. It's like this, the church is a family and part of discipleship is in your serving. You don't serve so God will like you or just because you are told to. You serve because you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's like none of us would get a surgery from someone who had never practiced, who had just learned, all right? And the church is producing a lot of learners, but not a lot of people who have practiced by serving. So at Providence, I would just say this. You don't need to know your, your calling and your giftedness to serve. Serve, and that's how you find out. And moms and dads will say, you're really good at this. I see the grace of God on your life in this area. And then if you've got a good spiritual parent, they'll say, you're really bad at that. I don't know who let you do that, but good job for trying, but that is not your lane, all right? Let's get to another place, all right? And, and if that has nothing to do with who you are, your identity in Jesus, you'll thank him for it, not be hurt, okay? So sir, have you ever, let's think about Thanksgiving dinner here for a moment, and let's say 50 people gather at your house this is prophetic, all right? I, I'm, I'm believing this. This is coming in the future. 50 people coming to your house. And, and the, here's the thing. The kids are allowed to run around. They're allowed to do their own thing, right? Because they're children. But the adults, and probably starting with the teenagers, everybody needs to pitch in to do the Thanksgiving meal preparation. Setting the table, putting the tablecloth down, putting the plates out, uh, skinning the potatoes. That's my uh, favorite part. Well, the, eating the potatoes, but also the skinning of them. And everybody pitches in. Now, how many families have a 51-year-old uncle that watches the game on the couch while everybody else is working? Anybody? <laughs> See, that, that is twisted and wrong. <laughs> this, a family gets together and everybody serves. And this is God's dream. This is Jesus' dream for his church where you serve one another and, and you all pitch in. Whether you're good or not, you serve, okay? How about this one? 
bear with one another. Colossians 3.13. This is, this is a massive one in the church. Bear with one another. Bearing with one another means that people can make mistakes around you and they don't have to worry about losing you. Okay? Um, Colossians Colossians 3.13, oh, let me just start with Colossians chapter 3, with, uh, verse 12. Put on then as, God cho- as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, see this? We're holy in him and we are his beloved. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, I'm just going to keep going, man. This is, <laughs> it's sucking me in. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Guys, so bearing with one another. Every person you will ever see will have weaknesses that will require you bearing with them. All right? And that the church has to be strong enough and has to be bright enough that somebody's weaknesses don't mean that they have to feel rejection. Bearing with one another. Um, biblical community, biblical relationship, I hope you can see this. We could keep going forever and ever about one another's, but biblical community means the kind of relationships where discipleship can happen. Okay? This is the context for discipleship right here. This is what it looks like. We're serving one another. We're bearing with one another. We're showing we're being a hospital for one another. And that is where the knowledge of the classroom meets the love of the community. And that is a very toxic thing to darkness. That is what a city on a hill is supposed to look like. That is what life on the hill is supposed to look like. So these are the good works, in my opinion. The one another's are the good works that shine in a dark day. But it also says, though, you know, we just read in in Matthew, we said that that these good works give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So I'm just asking, how are these things glorious? These are nice, they're practical, but how are they glorious? (laughs) Well, I want to talk about, uh, just for one moment here, I want to touch on this because I think this is massively important and brings a, a foundation to this message. But the glory of God is uh, the, the best definition I can have and I can give you for the glory of God is, and I, I preached a whole message on this in the tent, so go back and listen to this if, if this little definition doesn't do it for you. But the glory of God is when God's holiness goes public to be seen and enjoyed. When God's, when God's it, is, it is the character and the awesomeness of God Going public, that is God's glory, to be seen, and not just seen, but enjoyed, like, wow, okay? It's the glory of God. The glory of God captures your heart when you see it. Uh, A little more church history. Jonathan Edwards would ride his horse through the woods, praying, and sometimes he would see the glory of Jesus. This is Jonathan Edwards, guys, and he would just stare for three hours, What it does is it captures your heart and changes you from the inside out because you literally see that who God is is better than every other thing I've combined that I could ever get from this world. Captures your heart. So, but how is living like this, once again, so if that's the glory of God, how does this bring glory to God? here's, Here's what it is. God's people in right relationship with one another brings glory to God because it shows how he operates amongst himself. 
When we are operating in the proper one another's, as a city on a hill, loving each other well, it shows the world this is what God is like in and of himself. God, do you know this, that God is one God in three persons? He's Trinity, do you know this? I know it's confusing, I never really understood this. I heard a lot of illustrations going up trying to explain this. None of them were great, some of them were fine. But biblical community is an expression of who God is in community. The God being triune, one God in three persons, is God living in community with himself. Some practical outflow of this is is this. Um, God didn't create us because he was lonely. He wasn't lonely. God didn't create us because he needed relationship. He didn't need it. He already had it. He was fine without us. He created us because he wanted us to be an expression of who he is. And he wanted to walk with us and talk with us in the cool of the day in the garden. We decided that wasn't our jam. And so we decided to do it on our own. But when, when, every, when the world comes back to Jesus being the best and us actually walking and talking with God again, the light comes on and we begin to see who God is. God the Father is not God the Son and God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit and God the Holy Spirit is not the Father, all right? There are three distinct persons in one. The Father's not the Son, Son is not the Spirit, Spirit is not the Father, but they are one in the same essence, now, let me, let me tell you some uh, illustrations I'm hearing on this, uh, the Trinity, and here's a bad one. It's that I am a man, all right, and I am a husband. I'm married to the most beautiful woman on the planet, right, Adrienne Herndon, uh, whom I love, and I'm, I'm her husband, okay? But I'm also a dad, okay, to my three beautiful children, but I'm also a son to my mom and my dad, Okay? So that, when we take that and we use that to describe the Trinity, what that is called is called modalism, all right? That you've got one person, and sometimes he's a dad, and sometimes, you know, in a certain situation, he's a son, sometimes he's a father. (laughs) But a better illustration is a pretzel. Praise God for this, because food's always the best, all right? A better illustration is a pretzel that that has three holes, Okay, and the three holes are not the same, all right? You got the two on the side and the one in the middle. I always start at the, the bottom one and work up. It's just how I do it. But there, there are three separate holes, but they're made from the same essence, okay? So when Jesus, like modalism says this, was when Jesus was on the earth, God was not in heaven because he's on the earth. That, that is an old, 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 horrible, uh, you know, doctrine, all right? Um, so when Jesus is praying in the garden, he's praying to himself. This is, this is not, this is, God is a triune God, and he has fellowship with himself. That's why in the beginning in Genesis, the, the plurality of, of God's vocabulary is he's saying, let us make man in our image. This is from the very beginning. This is one God, three persons, and in those three persons, God operates in community. And if we want to glorify him and say, this is what God is like, then we live in community. Uh, marriage is not ultimately about love between the two of us. That marriage is ultimately about the love of God being displayed through the covenant love between these people. And, and he is now, Jesus is the head and man and woman. And there is Trinity in that. Do you see this? So your marriage is like, we made everything about us. 
but your marriage is about Jesus. And the, the body of Christ is about Jesus. It's about God showing the world who he is. In the beginning, I said this, but I, I want to ram it home. In the beginning, God did not create people because he was lonely and needed us. He, cre- he created because he wanted us. He did not need to use us as a tool to fix some deficiency he had in himself. But he wanted to be in relationship with us, though he needed us not. (laughs) And when the body of Christ is operating in love toward others, it magnifies God's greatness and shows the world who he is. Practically, if we're going to be a city on a hill and if we're going to do life together well, here's a few practical things I want to share with you. Number one, it's less about me, more about us, and most about Jesus. You hear this? Way less about me. <laughs> you are important and have worth and value. But you were made for something much bigger than yourself. You were made for Jesus. And so that takes us. So it's less about me, more about us, and most about Jesus. Um, D.L. Moody, uh, uh, when he was being asked by someone, why do I need to go to church? And that's a question I think many of us ask. And what D.L. Moody did is there was actually, you know, these are back in the days when um, they didn't have tons of, you know, venues and stuff with electricity. And there was actually a fire uh, there. And so he, he took one log from the fire and he moved it from the rest of the burning logs. And he continued to converse with this person. And in, in, in no time, that one log that was burning on its own had lost its flame. And, and that is what happens when we don't learn to do community together. When you say, no, I, I can just connect with, with God on my own in the woods. Well, you can and you should. And your life should be an overflow from your personal secret place with God. But there has to be a space where you get together with other people and you spill on them too so we can do this together and show the world who God is. All right? So, so we must learn to do life together and do it well. And it's going to require all kinds of grace, but it is worth it. The, the pursuit of God's glory and development of community means we must constantly and consistently treat relational infections. All right? We're going to get them. We're going to get cut by someone, and if, if, the, if the cut doesn't heal well, it's going to get infected, and infections are very dangerous to the body. I, I know that firsthand. Can I be, like, can I, I be family with you for a second and tell you, tell you something a little gross? Can I do that? I, uh, uh, no one answered, so I'm just going to surge, surge forward, all right? And, uh, but uh, I, I, think, I think what I'm about to tell you is, is for right now, for us to hear. But uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I got a haircut. And, um, and a few days after my haircut, I felt something on the back of the, my neck, which I just thought was like a, a pimple. And so I left it alone. And then, but it started hurting and like all the surrounding areas started hurting and, and it was really bothering me. And I, so I started icing at night and I was like, what a demonic pimple, you know? I've never, you know, am I a teenager again? Like what is going on? Jesus, oh man, you, I'm glad you like me. So I was, I'm icing this thing and, but it's not getting better. And actually what started happening is the lymph nodes in my neck started swelling and hurting worse than this demonic pimple. And I was wearing a t-shirt one day and it was, this thing is just above the t-shirt line and my, my son sees me in the kitchen. He goes, what is on your neck? You know, <laughs> I was like, man, I better, I better have somebody look at this. And so I had my, my wife look at it 
and uh, she screams, what is on your neck? No, she, she, uh, she's concerned because it didn't look good and they started taking pictures of it and we started sending these pictures to doctors and the doctor's like, uh, you need to take care of that. But I didn't really listen. I was like, it's just a demonic pimp pimple and Jesus is bigger than demons. <laughs> Cast it out, you know, I left it alone. We, we got some topical cream, antibiotic stuff, but it was getting really, really worse. And then uh, Chris Prey saw it uh, in my office one day and he said, go to the doctor now. And so when my wife says it, when my son says it, I don't listen, but when Chris Prey says it, I, I, I do. And so I went to the doctor and, and uh, I went and it was embarrassing. I go into the urgent care and um, they say, why are you here? And I'm like, I've got this demonic pimple. <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so, but I go back and the doctor sees it. it she, I'm seriously, not even three seconds. She glimpses at it, doesn't touch it, doesn't examine it. She goes, she goes that has to be taken care of right now. I was like, really, is it that serious? She goes, it's way more serious than you know. She goes, you've left this alone, but if you leave this alone, my guess is that MRSA is in that and that it will get into your spine and then into your brain and kill you. I'm like, Wow. She goes, so she goes, I'm telling you right now, Nathan, she said, uh, what I'm gonna have to do to you is not gonna feel good at all. She goes, I'm not, she goes, it is gonna hurt like really bad, but the pain is gonna be worth it. Are you ready to do this? I said, yeah, like sign me up. And she, she moved me uh, into another office. Like a nurse came in, moved me into another like uh, surgery room. And I was trying to still make light of it saying, is this where the party's gonna be? You know, and, and nobody's laughing. They know the series of this except for me. And so what happens, they lay me on a table and she goes to work on me. I haven't had pain like that since I had ingrown toenails cut out of my body, <laughs> right? I was, I was like, she's like, it's gonna hurt. And, I, and, and it did. And she's it's gonna hurt more. And it really did. And, and the pain kept coming. And what she did, <laughs> squeezing and all. I'm like, dear Jesus, like, wow. And, and what was, what was, what was happening to me though is the hurting was actually saving. The hurting was actually saving. It's going to hurt, but it's going to save your life. <laughs> I think that what happens is many times in our, in our marriages, we, we have these spiritual, relational, or emotional abscesses that begin to grow and we just ignore them. But what happens is they get into our brain and they take us out from the inside or in our friendships. We have these abscesses that grow and we just leave them alone. And we just say, I'll wear a turtleneck, nobody will see. But it comes out eventually and they see. What happens in the body of Christ is, is, is trying to live in community but we get these spiritual abscesses or, or these infections that really hurt us and we just say, I'll just carry it to the next church or I won't tell anybody about it. I'll just talk about this uh, amongst my friends. But what happens is you just spread the damage. You just spread it. And the only way to handle pain like this in a way that, that is healthy in the body of Christ is you have to surrender to the surgeon. And he says, this is gonna hurt, but it's gonna save you. It's gonna save your marriage. It's gonna save your relationships. It's gonna save. So, so I'm gonna have to drain this spiritual pain. I'm gonna have to drain this relational infection. And how do I do that? Well, if I would have fought the surgeon, this would still be there. I might not be, but it would. But so what I had to do is I just had to say, doc, do your worst. Whatever you have to do, get this out of me. Surrender to the surgeon's knife and needles and thumbs. <laughs> and the medicine they put me on just made me loopy. Surrender to the surgeon. 
But what happens in the, in the body, guys? Listen, I think like, Holy, if, if you would invite the Holy Spirit right now to say, what's a spiritual, ab- what's a relational, what's a spiritual, what's a, an, an emotional abscess I have right now? Like if you have any sensitivity to him, he will tell you. His kindness leads you to repentance. And, and, and the invitation is to surrender to the surgeon because, because it is going to hurt. It might ruin your career. It might ruin your reputation, but it, w- it won't rob glory from God, and that's why you were made. And what happens is, is when we don't surrender to the, the surgeon's healing, is what happens, we try to handle this on our own. What happens is the body of the Christ is no longer a city on a hill, but we start burning each other and drowning each other. And that's not, that's not the kind of church that, that shines the light of Jesus to the world. And then what happens is that the world doesn't see how God is. In our life together, it is corrupted. And the world doesn't see how God is. So things that are bigger than your pain hang on your surrender. And God is, I think God is just inviting us this morning saying, hey, the cross can heal this. I've got Holy Spirit salve that can heal this. You just need to surrender to the treatment. You need to surrender to what I'm doing. You just have to do this. And so this morning, I just, I really don't have anything fancy. I don't, I'm not, not saying run to the front, get on your face. Like what I'm saying is church, be the church. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Whatever he's saying to do, do it this morning. <laughs> Maybe there's people in this room you need to talk to. Maybe there's something you need to surrender to God. Maybe there's some, there's some pain that's just been whipping you for years. <laughs> and maybe this morning you just need to give it to God or admit it. Uh, but anything besides that is actually damaging. And it's not just damaging to you, it's damaging to us. And it's damaging to the kingdom. Do you get that? Do you see why this series is so important? We need to do this, don't we? Yeah. So I'm just, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to, we're just, we're going to, I'm not going to, you know, if it's time for you to go, um, then I just would say, go with the blessing of God in your life and uh, go open-hearted and open-handed and say, God, whatever you want to do in my life. But some of you just need to stay and some of you need prayer. Maybe I, I, I've been around people that have this gift of spiritual surgery that can get to the deep places of our heart and say, oh, that's where the pain is, isn't it? And so maybe you just need to pray uh, with somebody. But I, I know that I know that I know that if you, just, if you just do one of these and just surrender to God and what he wants to do in your life, he's gonna do great and marvelous things and it's gonna impact us and it's gonna mean the kingdom will advance in our day. I Listen to this. I wanna be a part of the generation that actually sets the world on fire with the love of God. I, listen, I, and I hope the generations after us don't have to carry, you know, make up for what we didn't do. Hello. Like, like today we can do this and we can set a legacy instead of giving the next generations sp- spiritual bondage that they have to feel. We, we can figure this out today. And so that's, a lot hangs on this, but the cross is bigger than all of it. Amen. Amen. So Heavenly Father, invade the dark places of our hearts. Invade the broken places of our heart. We actually invite you to do all the surgery you need. Squeeze where you need to squeeze. Cut where you need to cut. Speak to what you need to speak to. But God, with courage and faith, knowing who we are in you, knowing this has nothing to do with our right standing with you. We are the righteousness of Christ. But knowing that we're also broken, God, we just come before you right now. 
And we just ask you, God, would you, would you get anything that's not of you out of us so we can be the church in a dark day that needs the light of Jesus? So I just pray that. I pray just, just Holy Spirit, just come. And just come and have your way. God, come and meet us right where we're at. We don't have to perform for you. But you're, you're, the, the doors of our heart are open to what you want to do, God. So we just invite you to come and come in power and do what you do. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 